From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 261, and today I'm joined by aspiring filmmaker Reese Crothers. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Let It Ride. I'm Jeremy. I have not only not seen this film, but I apparently missed it entirely until uh, until my guest brought it up. So I'm here with... Reese Crothers. Uh, and you, you, I don't want to say force this movie upon me. You, you, you gifted it to me, first of all. Um, well, but, I thought you must have had it on your list already. So that's all I was trying to find out. Like, do you have Letter, like, what episode is Letter Ride? You know? That's just it. Uh, and it's one of those ones, because this is what, uh, and I tried to look up as little as possible yeah. because it's so rare I can go into a movie with knowing nothing. Yeah. And all I know is that, I won't say because Ephraim doesn't know anything. All I know is who the lead is, yeah. because I saw, when I when I downloaded the, the, the iTunes download, yeah, I, saw, yeah, I right. saw the poster, I'm like, oh, okay, well, he's in it, that's fine. Yeah. But, so, it's late, early 90s, late 80s? I think it's, I want to say it's 89. Okay. And I, it's around there, like, I would have seen it. It's that probably, period of comedy. Yeah, it's it's that late 80s, early 90s, and it's, it, it's so it's Richard Dreyfuss, right? Yeah. And, it's, and, and what I love is it's Richard Dreyfuss and Terry Garr. And she's so great. She she's like to me. She's like, like I put her on the same pedestal as Lily Tomlin or something. Like she was, a, she was especially in After Hours. You know, like she's a comic genius in, in After Hours. I mean, she she gets more laughs than Catherine O'Hara mm-hmm. in that picture. And but I when I was a kid, when I, I I saw so much stuff, and I saw stuff that I saw comedy. I, I it was at, it was at a time when I didn't differentiate between films and movies. Yeah. Or Sam, I just watched anything. You saw everything and you were just downloading it all into your brain. And so when I saw I mean I was a big close encounters guy. So I thought Richard Dreyfus and Terry Garr were like a couple. For real, you know? And it was so cool to see them and in this picture. But the reason that I love this picture is because uh to me, you know like Truffaut's book, uh I don't know how it translates into English, but in French it was like uh, you know, the films of my life, right? Yeah. And so I really always liked that idea that films are autobiographical. And so like you, you know, you can't divorce yourself from who you were when you saw it. And like, if I saw this film now, it wouldn't touch me the same way it did then, because it was one of those movies I used to watch with my grandmother and I love my grandmother and she was a cool lady and, uh, and she loved the racetrack. Like she was, she was, she used to hang out at Woodbine racetrack. And so my grandma, I, all my family were like either crooks or <laughs> or cops or you know things like that so so she but she, she so she she was with uh my grandfather and then she, she, like she had an affair with with who like my biological grandfather 
and you know had my mom and stuff and then and then the, she was supposed to marry who I call my grandfather now and they didn't see each other for like 20 some odd years but she always hung out at the track and so did he and they hadn't seen each other for 20 years and they got into a car accident in the parking lot uh, he was a cab driver and she hit him with her car now my other grandfather she tried to run over with the car on purpose this was an accident <laughs> Continue. So, so she loved the racetrack. So she showed me this picture, right? And and I don't want to say too much because I obviously don't want to spoil anything. But it was like it was one of those films that I knew was sort of a peek into her world. And it's one of those movies where, like, it, it reminds me like when you were talking about Pure Luck in your earlier episode. Um, there was a kind of a good nature. You know, I think you were talking about how comedies have changed and they've gotten kind of mean. Yeah, I find you know. Um, there, there is a kind of like it comes out of like anger a lot of the comedies now and there's a kind of like you know everything sort of post Van Wilder I think is like has a kind of a, a cruelty to the humor and even guys like Will Ferrell who are so sweet kind of their persona is sweet the comedies are really a lot rooted in humiliation and and sort of like uh, arrested development a sort of a sort of a teenaged yeah angry young man kind of thing uh, this period wasn't like that and, and true luck wasn't like that. No. And, and this film is not like that. And there was a sweetness, kind of an innocence and, and a feeling of, uh, celebrating people instead of, instead of, uh, tearing them down, tearing them down. And so watch out for a character called cheeseburger. I'm already excited. Okay. I'm already and, excited. Oh, and Paul Bartel, I think is either... Uh, like you remember the movie Eating Raul? Did you ever see that? Paul yeah, Patel? yeah, yeah. Th- forever ago. But. Either he's in it, or I f- he might not be in it. But uh, Mary, uh, I want to say Warnov or something. The actress from Eating Raul has this great cameo. Like there's just Cynthia Nixon is in it. Oh um, man, you're gonna you're, stop it. You're ruining everything. Yeah, I can't say anymore. <laughs> it just it's just one of those movies that I watched over and over again because it's a hangout picture. It's yeah. like let's go spend a day at the racetrack. And for me, when you're talking racetrack pictures, I'll watch this over the Marx Brothers. So nice. that may be setting it up to fail, but it's, uh, well, it's a different, different era too. It's a different, a different, different era. style. It's a different thing. And also Dreyfus, like remember when he was a star? Fuck, that's just, it's like stakeout. Um, yeah. I'm also just excited because I love Dreyfus so much. And anytime I can watch something new that I haven't seen of his, it's just such a gift. We just watched, uh, you watched it too, right? We just watched American Graffiti. Oh man. Oh, you, you, you missed that one. Really? We just rewatched it he's for so the, cute the podcast. Yeah. He's adorable in it. He's such a little kid. Yeah, he's a baby in it. Yeah. Uh, but again, he's just, he's one of those actors that never, even if the movie he's in isn't amazing, he's always so good. He's, he, he elevates yeah. any material. He elevates it, and he's one of these guys that he's really funny, but he's a great dramatic actor. Like, I remember around, yeah. not a few, few years later, he did that picture, Silent Fall, which, where he was a psychiatrist, and it, I think it's Bruce Beresford or someone like that. And it's, it's like, it's it's serious as a heart attack. Yeah. And, you know, he doesn't need to get laughs, but when he's funny, like for me, it's this picture, then Stakeout, or maybe this picture, then uh, Down Down in Beverly Hills, and then Stakeout for that that period where he was just like, he was on fire and he was he was a movie star. I remember like I was, I've, uh, you know, one of my biggest idols growing up uh, or coming up through film was, was Woody Allen. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I, when I found out that, you know, it didn't sweep the Oscars, I was like, well, what movie <laughs> robbed it of, like, the five-win streak? And it was, like, The Goodbye Girl and Richard Dreyfuss won. Yeah. And so I, I, I watched it to hate it, and I was like, yeah. I love him, I can't. I'm like, yeah, he, he did, he's much better than Woody Allen is in that movie. As an Woody actor. Allen, yeah, mean, as an actor, because he's, he's doing more than one thing. Also, I think that movie was, like, really 
surprisingly like who is it Marsha I can't remember Mason or something. Um, it's, it's so sweet it's and so sweet and, and his heart is there's another picture that that one reminds me of from around the same time and I'm going to mess up the I forget what it's called but it's uh, him and Cassavetes Cassavetes plays his doctor and I can't remember the title I can't for the right now oh no I can't remember it no but it's Cassavetes and Richard Dreyfuss and it's a two hander and I don't know it. it's so neat to see them together because it's almost like a passing of the baton. It's that seventies into the eighties. Yeah, yeah. And 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 of all, but of all of his pictures, like I, I always went back to, um, uh, to to down in Beverly Hills. But just quickly, I got to tell you about Mazursky because I met Paul Schrader, right? And uh, my friend Brian, you know, he does this thing, and he he was bringing directors in Seventh Art. They they so they screen taxi driver. And that day, I was Paul Schrader's driver, right? So I had this Mustang that looked cool, but like the ga- you could smell the gasoline in it and stuff. It was terrible. And so Paul Schrader is like in there with me and I'm driving him around. And we're talking about 70s directors and everything like that. And I made a joke about the pickle. You know, Mazursky's picture of the pickle. Yeah. And I was like, you know, because I figured like it was fair game. And I swear, Paul Schrader gave me the dirtiest look anyone <laughs> has ever given me a month. And, and I'm, so just as this is a PSA. Should you find yourself in a tight, confined space, such as a Mustang, with Paul Schrader, don't take a dig at Mazursky. <laughs> he loves him. Loves the guy. <laughs> but he made the pickle. <laughs> you have led a, a fantastic life, my friend. <laughs> you, you have to tell us, make a movie about your grandma. Well, I did. I sold a TV show about her and my grandfather and, and, and stuff. It was called Hogtown. And it was about how nuts they all were. Like my grandfather, because my grandfather... Uh, my great-grandfather was called the Don of Davenport Road. He was the first Italian hired by the city of Toronto, and he was brought over from Italy to pour the concrete for City Hall and things like that. And he brought all the Italians over. So the reason that Toronto is the second highest population of Italians in North America after New York City is because of my great-grandfather. And my grandfather, who was one of his 11 children or whatever it was, um, 10 kids, I think, he... He was the baby and he was, he was a little crook. Like when I was doing research for something else, just for fun, I, I bought into all these databases, you know? And so I just looked him up, Johnny Conforti. And this thing pops up, another Woodbine racetrack story. And it says, Johnny Conforti, uh, 13 other people and a jockey arrested at Woodbine racetrack for some scam or something. And I'm like, so it's him, some girl, the jockey. They're do- I don't know what they did, but they got arrested at Woodbine racetrack. So... I wrote the script sort of about them because when I was growing up, like I was, he used to say to me, how come I got such a manja cake for a grandson? Because he was like Italian, like, like dark, dark skin, like dark hair. He looked like, you know, Italian and I don't. And so he, you know, but like weird things would happen. Like one time it was Christmas and there was this guy sitting in the corner, like we're having Christmas dinner. So my whole family around a table and in the corner there's this guy and he looks like Lucky Luciano or something, right? He's got like the, the double breasted suit craggy face you know he's just sitting there in the corner not looking at us or anything just sitting there and so I said to my grandfather like hey papa who's this guy and he said uh oh that's Joey from Chicago don't worry about it <laughs> and I was like what does that mean or like another time he picked me up we go for a veal sandwich and then like he pull up to the side of the corner and there's a guy straight out of central casting like zip up uh you know velour tracksuit you know and a big ring like you've never seen and my, he's says, uh, like, oh, hey, you're Johnny's grandson. And I say, yes, sir. You know, I go to shake his hand. My grandfather says, give him the thing in the back. I turn around, there's a package in the back seat. I don't know what it is. I give it to the guy. And my grandfather 
hits the gas, takes off. I almost took the guy's ring off, right? So there were all these weird things that were happening. Like, I went, you know, my cousins were the vagabond motorcycle gang and stuff. But then my, on my dad's side, like, my dad's grandfather was a cop who died of a heart attack walking the beaten Queen Street, so... You're, you're, you're the product of both worlds. Yeah, I'm product of a bunch of lunatics. <laughs> well, that's a great spot to, to dive in and watch the movie. <laughs> awesome. I hope you love it. Okay, well, we'll I'm not promising anything. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So we just finished. <laughs> Delightful. Awesome. Um... Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting. Like, I have so many thoughts on this movie. Um, spoilers alert, obviously, if anyone hasn't seen it. But it, it's interesting that what I loved about the ending in particular yeah. is that he didn't care if he won or not. Yeah, it wasn't about that. Like that whole, like as he's walking to the to watch, he's like, I got my buddy off. I got yeah, my, yeah. my, you know, I fixed things with the wife a little bit. And he's like, and I met some nice people. I had a good day. Yeah. I'm good. Like, I yeah. love that he had made peace with whatever the outcome was. I mean, of course, he's still freaking out during the race, as you do. Well, it, goes, it reverts back. To, he reverts back to the, 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 the last race and the first race. There's so much symmetry, right? Yeah. So it's like, that's them. It, it's not a movie about change. Like, they don't really change. Well, no, I, I don't think or that's they do true change. at all. They change. He changes for yeah. sure. Because by the end, well, they all do in a way because of him. Like, they're all like, you know what? Let him have it or whatever yeah. it is. Like, but even with him, like, that. what's great about the photo finish bookend is that the second photo finish, he's totally at peace. Yeah, that's the big difference, too. It's like, because he's just like, I, all he wants at the beginning is, right? He's like, just, just give, give me one day. Because I don't want to be a loser. And, it, and it's so interesting the way they the way that it plays with what is a winner and what is a loser. Because the winner is not the guy with the money. That, that would be Bernie, right? Alan Garfield's yeah. character, right? He's got money. And he's he's one of the only characters that's sort of portrayed in a way that is, like, he he's the... He's Disgusting, the, gross human being. Yeah, right. But even him, like, the only... You know when I, you know when I turn on him? Is when he calls her a... When he calls Jennifer Tilly's character a bitch. Yeah. He, when he's picking her up, he's, you crazy bitch. That's the only part in it, the whole thing where I'm like... Fuck that guy. Because because it's such an ugly word to call someone, especially a woman. Yeah. And and in that scene, it's the only time that real true ugliness comes into the picture. Because the rest of it is so loving and all the people even when they're mad at each other or all these like there's never anything that is like truly cruel. Yeah, and she's clearly a gold digger, but she's sweet. She's the classic gold digger with the heart of gold, right? Like and and when she when she hits on him it's not because he's a winner, right? She's just no, because like, he's funny. She wants yeah. to sleep with him because you're funny. Right? It's so sweet. And, uh, and, and then, I love how he reacts. He's like, thank you so much. <laughs> so much thank you. That's kind of how I would be yeah, if yeah. some young, lovely thing <laughs> approached you. I'd be like, oh, this is amazing. You yeah. made my day. No. But that's what that was the best part, too. Because if he had... Like, the way that every everything that they did in that storyline with Jennifer Tilly is like, okay, she's an airhead. Okay, she's like you know she's cl- clearly somebody who is just using sex as a for commodity and everything like that. But like, so what? And so like, especially in our culture, like that's that's how shit works. And it, she's not punished for it. That's what I mean. It's like, no, it's it's sweet way. And then afterwards, it it's not like he he's not it's not transactional. I guess is what I mean. And and he's not trying to get anything from her. He likes her. And at the end, who are the two people he picks as his friends? Right? Yeah. The guy with the money box. And her, he's like, I met some nice people like you and Vicky, and they're pals. She's rooting for him at the end. Everyone's rooting for him at the end, and it's like it's like everybody. 
it's like when when she says uh, why, when Terry Garr says why can't you people just watch the horses like why do you yeah. have to bet and they they all laugh at her and it's like it's because they're addicted to the to the rush and so is he he's an addict right yeah but he's not he's not, it's like the money in as long as he's got the five dollars rat hold up his ass for the end of the race right remember that scene yeah, like, yeah. then then he's he just wants to play and if you're gonna play it's better to be a winner yeah I love that con that that comment too that Richard Driver I think it's Richard Driver says that if there wasn't any betting there'd be no racing yeah because it's true when you think about it, there's no I mean everyone bets on every sport obviously yeah but people love sport other sports regardless where it's like yeah, yeah nobody watches horse racing unless you're betting on it yeah it's true. It's a terrible sport. Yeah, well, also... <laughs> it's I mean, only interesting if you've got money in it. Yeah, and look at that. Because that's the emotion, right? Well, exactly. And, and it thinks like the photo finish where it's like, like like you said when we were watching, right? Like, that wouldn't happen. It'd be way, instantaneous now. now. It'd be instantaneous. But the drama of waiting, is it's powerful. Well, I remember going to like the track as a kid just yeah. for fun. I think we went like a couple times for fun and we were, we were allowed to bet like two bucks. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. And I remember like the time between and having to wait and yeah. just... But there was just some kind of excitement about it. I don't know why, Mike. We went to Flamborough Downs, <laughs> was where we went. Um, but yeah, it's such an. Because I don't know that world outside of movies. Yeah, I don't either. But it's such an interesting. What's fascinating about this is like. As I was watching it, I'm like, this movie shouldn't work. Because there's so yeah. many weird tonal shifts. Yeah. Like, there's that one moment where I asked you, I'm like, did he, was that a dream sequence? Yeah, it feels like it, right? Because yeah. it feels, when he comes out, it feels like he didn't actually go down. He just, because for me. Because it resets. It's like well, it, also, reset. it also works if he just decided not to make the bet. Yeah. Uh, it could have been a flight of fantasy. Because the whole thing feels so big and out of the blue that somebody called him a pickpocket. And then. It they should have set that up. The cartooniness of him bursting through that door. Yeah, right? <laughs> when he breaks through the security door. It's so broad. But yeah, it, it goes so broad for a second yeah. that it it's almost like it has to be a dream sequence. Yeah. Um, because the rest of the movie doesn't do that. The rest of the movie is not necessarily grounded. No, but you know what they did was they did that little, like I said, the, the, they took the music cue. First of all, that Giorgio thing. Moroder like, did the soundtrack. Like, that's crazy. Because he did Midnight Express, right? Like, yeah. And if you heard that, you wouldn't associate it with, like, it's so bouncy and cute, like, let it ride, right? It's like that Weatherman song from Groundhog Day or something. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but remember there's that scene when he puts the money in the shoe and then he comes out and there's that punk kid and the punk kid's like, um, yeah, walking tall, my man or whatever. I always thought he must be the pickpocket. Like they're talking. I I can't believe there wasn't a moment where he (laughs) got ripped off. Well, because, because through the whole movie, they're talking about pickpockets. Right, yeah. like, like, uh, um, they're setting it up. His friend Looney, his character, he, you know, he says he got pickpocketed, but we never saw that. Um, this Morgan character, right? We never saw yeah, that. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting too, because like, if this movie was made today, he'd have to lose at the end, mm-hmm. right? He would never win. There's and, no drama. He never loses. No, but it still works because it's yeah. fascinating because it's about the journey he goes on with everyone else, and yeah, the arc is in the. Way he re, way people relate to each other, and it only really works for me because like there's that great moment where he comes back to the bar, yeah, uh, and of course that's the moment where you're like, oh, you went too far, you should have got out, right? Yeah, he comes back to the bar and he gets everyone riled up, and he's like, we're gonna put it all together, and they're like, <laughs> no, and uh, his buddy, he's like, he's like, no, 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 no. he's so great, uh, 
And but they all like abandoned him too, even though he just got them all riled up. Yeah, which makes me go, well, why were they so excited if they weren't like willing well, to go it's, along it's, until they, until he wants something from them, right? Like yeah. he's saying, put your like he's like we're in this together because the whole time they're like, remember the, the first one? He, he, his friend says you 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 screwed me. And he's like, I get, he he's the one who gave you fifty bucks, pal. Like, yeah. How did he screw you? Like, well, he screwed him because he didn't blackmail the guys for the tape. Yeah, yeah. But even that, like that scene with those guys, like every casting choice is like pitch perfect. Those two yeah. guys, I don't know where the, the the one guy. So there's like the the younger guy and the older guy, and I can't think of where I've I can't. Seen I don't think they're. I think they're just day players. Like I don't think they're but anything they're else so, that I've seen. They're cast so perfectly. And yeah, the they're woman uh, Mary Warnoff, like the one from Eaton Rabbit, the one who goes, "You could be walking around lucky and not even know it." Yeah, she's great. And like my, fa- but my favorite character is Cheeseburger. Because he comes in, he's so, he's got the chains, he's got the red shirt, and he's like, you're just like, I don't believe, like, I, like, this, of everybody, like, he's, he feel, he's big, and broad, but, he, but he fits in that world. And he's so funny, like, that scene when he's like, when they start kind of dancing, and like, you know, plus his name is Cheeseburger, <laughs> like, like. Yeah, and then even Cynthia Nixon's character, like she starts. Cynthia off, Nixon is so interesting because she comes in, and she's bouncing, and she's a girl. She's, like she's a, little, a little girl, yeah. With braces, it's, it's such a great. I wonder if they added the braces or if that she. I had wonder them. if she had them. Like, but then that scene, like again, like there's so much affection for all of the characters, all the small parts. So like the the guy who who's her date, like you you like him, you don't know yeah. him, but he's that they just give him that little scene where he takes the takes her her necklace has got caught on her braces yeah and he's let me get that for you and it's so sweet yeah and then she's like what did she say i'm gonna take all 200 of my dollars of my dollars yeah <laughs> and then there's that the moment his the his security guard pal that he hires that he has that weird little monologue about yeah. his peripheral vision <laughs> it's so awesome and bonkers and then there's someone uh, they must have adr it i'm camera going what the fuck is that about <laughs> <laughs> But he's like, there's a fly on the money box. And the funny thing about it is, as he's, like, telling everyone, like, how he's so superhuman, um, he looks like he's losing his shit. Yeah. Well, he's so scared. He's so scared. He's never had so much responsibility <laughs> in his entire life. And then what about Robbie Coltrane? Oh, God, I was just thinking about Robbie Coltrane. He's so ch- good and charming. He's like, I'm going to tell him. That moment they have after he prints out the 48 That's, tickets... Yeah. And they just, it's like they had just had sex together. Right? It was, it was post-coital. Yeah. And they have this, he's like, it's quiet. It's nice. He's like, I'm going to tell my grandkids about you. It's just such a beautiful bonding moment they have between the yeah. two of them. That line, I love that line. It's quiet. And also, because it, it's all of a sudden they're the only two guys in the whole place. And, and it's, 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 you know, it's, it's not long after that ridiculous scene, right? Like, where he jumps through the door. And then all of a sudden, it, everything stops. It gets quiet. Yeah. And it's just two guys... Talking about their lives, he says, "I've been to a lot. I worked a lot of places. You know, some, some great, some dumps. You know, uh, one place closes, another one opens. And like they really invested in that character. I believe that guy is a guy on the circuit. You know, working these tracks. Yeah. And and when he says, and he's so, seen everything, but he's never seen this. He's yeah. And it's just like the luckiest thing. The uh, other funny thing too is I remember the first episode of the Twilight Zone that I ever saw, which I don't remember the name of it, but it's about a guy, a gambler who who dies." And he thinks he's gone to heaven because he, he, he bets, he wins, he bets, he wins, he bets, he wins. Can't lose. It's like this premise here. Only, only it keeps going and it, and it gets to the point where, cause he, he, he's, it, it's sort of like what you just said. He's, it doesn't matter if he wins or loses. He's addicted to the, 
Right. Possibility that oh, it yeah. could go either way. And when you remove chance, like that's what people are addicted to. And if you know the outcome, it's not like he even said it there. It's not gambling. It's just taking advantage of an opportunity. So all of a sudden, the the character in the in this uh, in the Twilight Zone, he's he, he meets a, another. He's, there's another character, sort of like the dark version of the angel from um, It's a Wonderful Life, you know. Mm-hmm. And this this character is supernatural, whatever. And then he's like, at the, he, he, the character's sort of depressed because he can't lose, and he says. Um, like what's wrong? Like you know, I thought I thought you wanted to win. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I just thought heaven would be different. And he's like, who told you it was heaven? And he went to the other place. Uh, so hell for a gambler is to, is to know that you're gonna win every time, you know. And you there's get no the, excitement. There's no excitement. There's no chance. There's no rush. There's no rush. It's safe. And but that's I, almost what cures him at the end, knowing that he he's figured it out finally. And he's like, yeah. oh, I don't need to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's at peace because at the beginning it's like. Everything is. He just constant. wants to not feel like a loser, like you said. He he just he says I should be at the jockey club, but then he goes to the jockey club and it sucks. And it sucks. It sucks. Everyone there's an asshole. And at the end, when he's not with everyone, his friends, but, yeah. well, well, I to mean, be Michelle fair, Phillips, they don't they don't turn on him at the jockey club until he's like an asshole and he wins. He he's was like, the asshole in there. Yeah. yeah, but he also realizes that at the bar, everyone will be so excited for him. But here, they're all jealous. They're jealous, and yeah, exactly. And they're not his people. Like no. the truth is, he doesn't belong. Like it, when the guys like. We're very busy, sir. You won't show him the champagne. He doesn't like you. Only you only want to be in the jockey club if you if you can't go to the jockey. What's the joke, Woody Allen? Yeah, no, it's the Marx Brothers. Like, yeah, uh, no one wants the. It's uh, I don't want to be part of any club that would have me for a member. Yeah, right. And it's so true in that scene. But it's lovely because the next time he goes back to that Marty's place or whatever it's called, he's happy there finally. Yeah, and yeah. everybody. That's what. But also, you know what I like is when they turn on him then again because it's it's the whole thing is remember the cheeseburger in that scene says. And we'll be there to pick you up, you know, when it's over. You know, and it's like, they're all expecting him to lose. Yeah, because because that's the waxing and waning fortunes of a gambler, right? And and they but they, you also get the feeling that they all have these stories about each other. And like even vibes is a great character. Like when he gets it, it's the two, you know. And like they use the language of the track also, I think, really well. Like it's funny, like when when he says, "So you want forty eight win tickets or fifty fifty win tickets?" Whatever. I can't yeah, remember yeah. how I say it. You know. To, to win in the seventh, uh, third horse in the seventh race, it's like, the language is almost like a David Mamet. It's like House of Games or something. Yeah. Like they, they, whoever wrote You'd be, the, it's very authentic. You have to have spent time on the track. And I went, so there was a summer, I can't remember what summer it was, I was going to OCAD at the time. And so, it must have been like 2002 or something like that. But Paramount, the Scotiabank, whatever, they, they were giving, I can't even imagine, believe this is legal, but betting tickets on the back of movie tickets. You get a $2 betting ticket on your ticket stub. And I went... What? Yeah, it was crazy. So that summer, I went to the movies, like, you know, like I would or normally would do, but I kept all my tickets, which I also normally would do, but usually they weren't worth shit. These ones had $2 betting tickets on it. So I was like, I want to make my version of Let It Ride. So I, I wanted to go to the track for the day, and I got all my friends to come from who were working with me at Queen Video and stuff. And um, I give everybody betting tickets, and I said... And I had these little scenarios, right? Like, I had one friend who I was like, I want you to do a card trick, and, and, but the card trick is not going to work. So, so he, all he does is he goes, he goes, pick a card. The other guy picks the card, and, he, and then the guy, he's trying to guess the card. And he never gets it right. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's the joke. And then I, I just had people betting on, on, on the horses. Some guys won, some guys didn't. And we would, we would film the reaction to the race after the race. So, like, you, you'd hear on who won, 
And then we would retroactively go and have them bet on the horses that win or, win or didn't win. But it was all just trying to do Let It Ride. And, you know, it's funny because, like, you're the first person who's ever taken me up on actually watching it. Because when I tell people about it, it's like, well, what is it? Well, it's a, it's an 80s, 90s comedy with Richard Dreyfuss as a gambler, you know? Like, okay, you know, he goes to the horse. Like, and when I tell people about it, it's either I'm just not doing it well or something because it's like people never, people, it's almost like that scene where, where they're like, take all our money, you know? Eh, there's no enthusiasm. But when you watch it, it's so sweet and it's so charming. Well, there's not a mean bone in its body. No. Right? Which is so, which is really, really lovely about it. And because it, it's like, there's so many different ways you can tell a story like this. I mean, I guess you could also be cynical about a movie like this and be like, well, you know, uh, it, it, it's not that great because... It doesn't establish the rules. It doesn't have the stakes, don't feel that high for him. No. But it's... But Especially after it's, she says you can come home. Like you think, okay, yeah. what's his goal? If his if his conscious goal is to is to be a winner, his unconscious goal is not to lose his wife, right? And so, but he's never really in danger of losing her. Like even when, like even bef- like no, she like, and that's the, I guess that's I mean as much as I love Terry Gar, like her character isn't she's the, the weakest character. Well, just because she like she even says she's like I wanted to leave you and I couldn't, so I'm just gonna be a drunk. Yeah, and he finds it amusing. In a weird way, like he's kind of charmed by that. I wonder. You know, he's what? just more relieved yeah. that she's not going to leave him. Yeah, and I got the feeling that that's like that. That it's almost like kind of cute. Like she's obviously not a drunk and she's not good at it. And like he shows her the money and she's like well, piles and piles. What does it mean? But Terry Gar sells it right because she's yeah she's she's like I don't even know if you can use the term anymore. But like that 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 comedian, you know, she's just she's she's so she was she's a great straight actor. Like yeah, like you can play off her really well. But she's also hilarious. Like when she's when she's going, guess it up. What do you call this? Like he can't see it. Yeah. You know. Like, but but then on top of it, I mean, she's just drop dead gorgeous. Tiagar yeah. is so beautiful. She's like an every woman. She's an every woman. But she's but she's also she's one of those actors that like whatever part she's playing, I believe her in it. Like she 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 she's always real, and I almost could see that that the character she's playing in this. And the character she plays in After Hours could be the same person. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, and that's like, because she's a little flighty and she's a little like, like, you know, but I, be, I believe her. Like, and that's, whatever flaws are in the character are not in Terry. Like, Terry Gar sells it. She makes it work. And everybody from Richard... We love her anyway, right? The casting is so strong. The casting is strong. And they have a chemistry because they, they played husband and wife before. So I believe, and also in that picture, like, they have problems and stuff. So, like, when you see them at the beginning, I mean, that fortune cookie... That for- fortune cookie scene is one of the best opening scenes because it's just... It, it's setting up so many things. Yeah. It's setting up their relationship. It's setting up, like, his gambling superstitions yeah. and, and stuff. And it tells you the rules of the picture in, in the, and maybe that scene only because the way that everybody gets involved... He start everywhere he goes. He starts a fire, like you know, like yeah. all of a sudden everybody in that place is, and they almost do a, like a Rob Reiner when Harry met Sally kind of thing, where they use the reactions of strangers or something like that. Like the bad version of those is like Spider Man, you know, look up there he is, or like Batman, like whoa, you know, some some person you don't care about reacts, yeah, 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 which is just supposed to I think make the audience feel like the mirror's been held up to them and they can, which you don't need because you're identifying with Batman, right? Yeah, but, but in this picture. Every bit part, every 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 throwaway, like the guy with the cigar, you know when he tells him, "I'm doing the survey here." All right, go do your own survey. Yeah, that guy's amazing. Like the guy at the beginning, all the people who who when he's 
how he's calculating their how much money they make, and then they all say like it's a lot of money or it's not a lot of money. Those guys are perfectly cast. Uh, you know the even the guy who runs the bar, like everybody is perfect, and I believe that they're all there, and I like them, and I like spending the day with them. So I've probably seen this picture. This is probably like my thirtieth time I've seen it. Oh wow! Like because it was one of those ones that like my grandmother used to have. First Choice, which I guess became the Movie Network, which, is it still the Movie Network? Or Super Channel now or something? Uh, well, TMN is now Crave. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So, but back in the day, you know, there would be pictures that would play, all, like, it used to be First Choice, I think was what it was originally before yeah, TMN. Yeah. And it used to, it, it, you know, the, so like if Let It Ride came on, you know, it's... So you'd, like play, the, you'd watch it. You'd, it. you'd watch it, but my grandmother taped everything. So she'd do the long play tape, VHS tapes, and she'd get three pictures on each tape. And so everything, again, it's that period, 88 to, to like 90, 91, um, when, when, if my grandma taped it, I watched it, and I watched it with her, and I watched it, like, all the time. So, like, but some of the movies were, like, so I have this real grand affection for, like, movies that aren't very good, like Fat Man and Little Boy was one, um, which had a great trailer, still one of the all-time great trailers is Fat Man and Little Boy. It's rolling Joffy. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. Yeah. We, we had the same childhood. I've, I've mentioned this many times on the <laughs> podcast. But because uh, I had a, an uncle who would do those same things. He would tape three movies. Yeah. A double tape. Yeah. And so I would just borrow tapes. But yeah. he didn't curate them in any way that it was like, here, it's a trilogy on one disc. Yeah, like, yeah. You'd go from a horror film to like it's just a comedy next, to a right? war film. So I'd watch them and it was like a mixtape and I just watched them yeah. straight through. And so I grew up with this like, I, that's why I kind of like genre mashes. Yeah, because too. I'm used to going from one to the other and not being jarred by it. Or you'd rent three pictures, you know? Yeah. And it would just be whatever came. I mean, that's why I, why I loved uh, like Planet Terror because I was like, it's like it's almost like he watched a bunch of Fulci and a bunch of like uh, Romero and like Mashed all he together. Took, he's taking some stuff from one guy, he's taking some stuff from another guy, and it's like it, it it it's democratic in the sense that like it it makes them all equal, which I love because like comedy. I mean, I don't need to tell you about <laughs> comedy, right? Like, uh, but I have a little experience. You've got yeah. some experience, and I have never directed a comedy, but. But from a, as a lifelong lover of comedy, I've tuned out in the last decade or so because I think it's just cruel. Like even Succession, which is fucking brilliant, it's so cruel and vulgar and, and everything. And I just like when I watch this picture, it's so sweet and it's. I mean, I think they say the f word once or twice or something, but it's like like when you ask me like, is it is it something that your your son could watch? It's like, oh yeah, yeah my, totally. da- my daughter could watch this too. Yeah, yeah, because it's just and I would show it to my thirteen year old nephew too because. Like, one of the things I've been trying to do with him is um, I'm trying to show him the films that I liked at his age to try to create, like, a, a reference point for him. For, and for me, for us to have the same kind of references. But, like, I showed him Malcolm X because I was, like, 12 when Malcolm X came out. And it changed my life to see Malcolm X at that time. I mean, yeah. I'm from the suburbs, all white kids, you know, Village of the Damned. And then, <laughs> and then to see Malcolm X when you're 12 years old, like, gives you a lifelong, like... It, it, like to this day, I get chills like thinking about of that film, right? Um, and so I'm trying to show him these things, and so, I, so but I slip in these ones that are like like a letter ride or something. Where one of the pictures that I love the most is Gladiator, but not the Russell Crowe. You know? Do you know? Do you remember the boxing picture from like '92? No. So it's like right after Boys in the Hood. Cuba Gooding Jr.'s next picture. He's oh, I can I can like picture the poster right it's now. It's the it's the kid who the motorcycle rides the motorcycle on Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah, James yeah. Marshall, 
he's the white boxer from the, from the rich neighborhood. Now he's in the wrong side of the tracks, and Cooper Green Jr. is the black boxer, and they're gonna end up having to fight, and they're friends and stuff. And and it's like one of the great boxing movies, even though it doesn't make any sense. And like the they dress like they're in the forties, and like it's it's a weird picture. But I just showed that, to, or like I, I I've been trying to get my nephew to watch that. And sometimes he, like what did I I showed him the faculty, and he's like, wow, it it looks so old, and I was like, wow, like ninety seven is like the end of high school for me. So yeah. I'm like I'm like that's where my my idea of high school ends, right? And he's like, well, the blackboards and stuff, like, they have screens and stuff. Like, they don't have, they use laptops. They don't, like, or they use um, iPads and stuff in school. Like, it's, so I was like, I I guess. And he's like, the jerseys are weird. And I'm like, but it's Usher. And like, you know. It's so funny. No, but it's funny how we don't, we look at that stuff and like, oh, that still feels modern. It totally does. Because it's our experience, right? Yeah. Um, Or like Radiohead. Like, I played him Radiohead and he's like, old mu- old mu- like he said it was old music and I was like it's Radiohead like and then I realized like oh yeah they're all like like 50 now yeah well the stuff I grew up on as a kid that I called oldies was my parent wasn't that like my parents yeah. probably you know scoffed me when I called it oldies but it's because but that's like the stuff you know our movie music from the 90s is today's oldies it's yeah and, and, and things I mean like you got the you got the the dude uh, coasters here yeah but like like when to, I, I mean it still feels new to me uh, Big Lebowski and that's just it. Well, even like we listen to like one of the uh, the serious stations we listen to is Lithium, oh, and it's yeah? like it's like every mixtape I ever made in the nineties. Yeah, and yeah. my kids love it too. Like my son has a great uh, affection for that era of music because I do. Well, it probably would have been like for us listening to like the seventies music or like listening to the Stones yeah. or something, right? Because you inherit like the the, the music. I find From your that, parents, yeah. And I also find like like my favorite picture is Raging Bull. Right, but I'm born in '79, and it was made in '79. So there's even though it's not set then, um, there there were like it's like the tendrils of the past are still clinging to like the era that you enter from the era before you entered, and so I'm so fascinated with anything that comes out in '77, '78, '79, because it's like that's the I I inherited that world. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I hope when they see this kind of stuff, like when I show it to my nephew or other people or something, it's like. It's just reminding them of a time when things were a little more innocent and simpler. sweeter and simpler. That's it's such it. a simple picture. I know. My wife would love... I wonder if she's seen it or not because she would love this kind of movie. And that's the kind of movies I try to make when I do comedies. Like, I like movies that are where people are... They're punching up and they're not punching down. Yeah. Uh, and even though it's like there's well, stuff... Well, even your picture... Like, I, I read... Go-getters. The, I read the script because, uh, because I went to high school with Brendan, right? And so... Um, one of the things in the script was I was like, it's so funny because, I mean, they're kind of like low life dirtball, like yeah. the way they talk to each other. And stuff, but the heart of so, it, that's what spoke to me about it was like there's they're just like people that are always trying and they have no reason to not be mean and cruel to each other yeah. and they are, but it's all like I always describe those two characters as like when you go into a pet store and there's those two puppies that don't yeah. want to share their toy. Yeah, yeah. But they're they're both that. Yeah, yeah. And they, they just don't know how to. Be with someone else. Well, you know what it is? It's it's like there's no... The term malice of forethought, you know, the yeah. legal distinction. It's like intentions matter. And, and in that film, like you, in your film, uh, and in that script, I don't think the intentions are really to hurt people. It's like... No. They're just They're just like people who have been screwed over, messed up, like, and they're, and they're, and they're products of all that, but their hearts are still pure. And so it's like, that's really endearing. 
And also, I love this one. I love James versus Future Self. Yeah. And it's like, and you know, like, especially in Canada, I think the one thing that we do, I think here, is comedy. Like, all the best comedians. I mean, just mentioning John Candy. I, cr- I cried so hard the day he died. Same here. I fell off my bicycle when I found out. I, I, I seriously did. We, we were riding. I was, like, delivering my news, like, like my, my paper, and someone said something. It was like, so he said, and, and I went to pick up, because I was delivering newspapers, and I saw the, th- the th- like, the bundle, and that was the front cover, and I literally, like, yeah. fell into a ditch, because he was oh, my man. idol. He's the best. I mean, he, like, if someone said to me, like, who's your favorite actor? I would say, like, you know, well, I think Christian Bale's great, and I think, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is doing some crazy stuff, and, but my favorite actor is John Candy. I mean, I love I love JFK because he shows up and he does that one scene and there's an that monologue of his. It's so good and he does the accent, yeah, which is like the toughest accent in the world to do, the New Orleans accent, and and there's a story that Oliver Stone tells about how nervous he was because it's kind of his. I think it's his only dramatic role. Well, if you look at stuff like um, he's in Silent Silent Partner. Yeah, he did a couple things that are like borderline comedy drama. Uh, only the lonely. Only the lonely. But even like planes, trains. Planes, plane trains is a drama. Planes, trains. Well, it's definitely at it's, the it, end. It's the mix, yeah. yeah. But it's like when it's although it's probably the funniest movie I've ever seen. It's that was the that's a movie like I'll always remember. Perfect. I'll always. It's a movie that slipped through the cracks for my dad, and so he didn't huh. watch it until we watched it together. But it was like we rented it. Like he hadn't seen it. So we and wow. I'm. I thought my dad was going to die from laughing. <laughs> like, he laughed so hard at that movie. Yeah. It's one of my favorite memories is like my dad's like sheer joy at watching that movie for the first time. That's funny too though. Like do you think do you think that has something to do with making with you making comedies because it's like I was telling you about the raging bull thing, right? Oh, for sure. Like the fact that it's like cuz that, that that's my dad and I don't have a ton in common other than, you know, we we have a, a similar sense of humor. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a big sports guy. I, I, I appreciate sports. I like playing sports yeah. and I like going to like a live yeah, game. I don't want to watch other people But I don't play. watch live. Yeah. I don't watch it on TV unless my son wants to play cause he's kind of into it too. But we, and he was, you know, he's a steel worker. He's a carpenter. Like we don't mm-hmm. have uh, a lot in common in, in some ways, but comedy is the thing we share and like laughing wow. together is the thing we share. So I definitely think there's something about like, you know, the reason I, I lean on comedy because it's like something that I know bonded my father and I together and bond, yeah. bonds me with other people too. But it's that thing too, like, like when I was, when I was, like, I, I don't remember if I said this on the tape or not, but like when I was eight years old, my grandfather showed me Raging Bull and you shouldn't show any old Raging Bull. I showed my, <laughs> I showed, I showed my nephew who, when he was eight, I showed him Raging Bull thinking maybe he'll want to make movies like it did to me, but he started boxing. And I was like, oh my God, my sister's going to kill me. But um, when I was eight years old, my grandfather, who was a crook, I told you, you know, but I don't know if he was a crook at that time, but you know, so he, but he had this movie room in the basement, which is, I've tried to recreate it now in my new space. I've got some of the pictures he had on the wall up in my wall. Oh, nice. And he had like, he had, he had these illustrations of uh, Humphrey Bogart, uh, Clark Gable, and I think James Cagney. And then there was a there was a Marilyn Monroe there was, there was you know a Casablanca poster so like whatever went on in that basement to me was that was church yeah and so one day I remember like you know it was this special thing between him and I the movies and he took me downstairs like I don't remember what, everyone else was doing something else he said come on and he took me downstairs and he was holding my hand we weren't sitting down we were standing in front of the television and he put it on you know 
And I mean, that's a long time to stand up and watch a movie. We didn't watch the whole movie. Okay. He just showed me the opening scene. And I mean, then he gave me the tape and I watched it at home, but he showed me the opening scene. So it comes on, you know, it's black and white, but the text is red. The, it's just De Niro dancing around the ring by himself. And it's that music, yeah, Cavallari yeah. and Rastakana, right? And it's opera and it's big and I've never seen anything like it. And the TV's bigger than I am. And I'm like, I'm watching this thing and I'm like transfixed. And you remember like the flashbulbs yeah. popping off. It's hypnotic, right? And the whole movie's in that shot, right? A man in the ring by himself. That's what the picture is about. Yeah. It's about it's about what he leaves in that ring and whether he's an animal or not, right? It's a it's a picture about a man telling God, I'm not an animal, right? That's the, that's the whole picture. So <clears throat> I remember like and I worshiped my grandfather. To this day, like I, I you know, I worship I worship him. I miss him so much. But he showed me that that picture, just the opening scene, and I looked up at him, and I mean, he was a giant to me at that point. I was eight years old, so I looked up at him, and I remember he looked down at me, and he said, "That's Scorsese boy," <laughs> and I didn't know anything else, but I knew, like the man who I thought was the most interesting man who ever lived, the coolest guy, and he used to say to me like, you know, uh, not just my grandson, but my best mate, Aww. you know, and so him showing me that thing, I was like. That's the moment that I said I want to be a filmmaker. Although now I'm writing true crime books. But but that goal was there yeah. because it was like... Still a storyteller though, right? Storyteller, yeah. yeah. But the thing was, he was transfixed by it. So I was transfixed by it. And, I, and maybe this is a similar thing with your dad in the comedy. Is that like, if you look up to somebody, like your your dad is your is a, a god to a boy. And yeah. Same thing with my grandfather. And, and, and so when he said, that's Scorsese boy. And I understood in that moment that this was special to him. I was like, if it can do that to him, I want to do that. That's just it. For me, it was like, I want to, I want to make people laugh the way this movie made my dad laugh. And I've had moments like that where I've screened, uh, I, I'll never forget. We had this one. Well, that one's hilarious too. Orgy. Yeah. We had this one screening. I had to plan an orgy at, in Calgary during for their film festival. And it was a, p- a packed house. And I sat at the back and just watching, like, some guy bowled over in front of me. <laughs> but it was just, like, that's the closest I've ever been to feeling like, th- this is what it meant to be like to feel like a rock star. Yeah. Where yeah. it's just, like, every song is hitting. And it's like the movie, it was like a perfect screening. Yeah, yeah. And I left, like... The dream. Yeah, it was a dream, right? But it's like that kind of, I'm like, so it was like, that was the moment where I, I touched, like, that moment of a child going, oh, you know what? If, if I do nothing else in, in yeah. my life or career, it's like, I, I kind of, like, I did that. And I'll yeah. never forget that night and, and that it like made me feel like that time with my dad, right? I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And also that, that you know, especially because I used to have this attitude, like, like, like um, when I worked at the video store. Um, how, many, how long did you work at Queen Video? Eight years. Wow. Yeah. And I worked at all three and, you know, it, it, all my best friends are from there and stuff. And like the best job interview I ever had, which was basically one question, who's your favorite director? And what was your answer? Uh, at that time, I said, I, th- I said, my favorite is Scorsese, but the best is Cassavetes. And that's how I got the job. Nice. And, and that's I, a great answer. Well, it, it, it was with the boss and then all these guys. Like, what was funny was like the guys who worked there, they, they one by one, they kind of joined in the interview. And it was like being accepted into a community and stuff. And it was great. But, you know, like that, that, that whole, that, like, I, mean, I forget even where I was going with this. That's okay. But, but the Queen video thing, like... You know, at at that time, like at Queen Video, like one thing that you could do was you could do a staff pick, right? And so you had the power to like... Recommend to people. To recommend a certain picture. So like for me, the Crossing Guard was a picture that I recommended a lot. 
and because it means a lot to me because it's about grief and stuff and 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 I've had some grief and everything and and I, I just think it's really powerful I think it's Nicholson's best performance and I know that that angers people when I say that but um but I made sure that like 50 people rented the crossing guard and I take great pride in the fact that like in Little Italy there's like a clump of people who like love the crossing guard and 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 I think it's what you're doing with your podcast which is like you're you're finding pictures the whole thing is like everybody nobody needs me to tell them that the godfather is a good movie yeah nobody needs me to say that you know the big lebowski is funny but the crossing guard does need people to say check out the crossing guard some of those movies need their champions right and this movie need, needs it let it ride needs it and and pure luck needed it yeah. like like it was funny listening to your your episode on miller's crossing because i was like there are people who haven't seen it or didn't like it or like or or cuz to me i i don't find Miller's Crossing indistinguishable. I, I I find it indistinguishable. F- sorry from from Barton Fink. The, 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 yeah, those two are like melded together for me too. And also Barton Fink comes out of a period of writer's block on Miller's Crossing. Right? Yeah, like that's why they wrote it. And 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 I just can't imagine like anyone needing to be told to watch Miller's Crossing. I know it shocked me. When, well, the, I like kind of collect people whenever I find they haven't watched like a big. I'm like, great, we're gonna yeah. watch it. Like, don't watch it. Yeah, save it. We're gonna watch it together. It's like it's a gift for me because so many people are shamed by all these movies they haven't seen that they should have seen. Yeah. But I'm like, no, embrace it. We'll watch it together. There's no shame yeah. here. Well, I'm yeah. envious. Like listening to that episode, I was like what would it be like to watch Miller's Crossing for the first time now when you have a film grammar and you have and you're a, and you're a storyteller you're a professional yeah. so like to see it because when I saw it I didn't know anything about about anything it was 1990 yeah I was 10 years old but, but I, the hat the hat yeah well that imagery of the hat in yeah. the trees like I I don't know like if anyone ever looks at my Instagram you'll see that all I really do is take pictures of the trees, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I live in the middle of nowhere, and that's all there is. There's no actors. Like, I t- so the trees, trees, and the couple bunny rabbits and stuff. But, but every time I'm doing it, I'm thinking it's Miller's Crossing. Like that's in my mind. Gorgeous. I'm like, this is Miller's Crossing. You know, it's like you. It, it, that movie makes you look at trees differently, and like that's so cool. I love that. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I I've been doing the podcast now for like I'm in my fifth year of doing this podcast. Wow. Uh, but it, I, I, when I think about it, I, I probably. You know, my son would have been seven or eight wow. when I started, and I think because what I that was the time when I could start showing him the movies I loved as a kid. He yeah. was he wasn't really interested in like kid kid movies anymore. He wanted yeah, like yeah. I started showing him Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all those awesome. movies. And for me, it was like I think unconsciously another reason I started the podcast was because I got the closest I think you can get to rewatching a movie for the first time, even if you've seen it a dozen times, yeah. is watching it with somebody who's never seen it. Yeah. Because you get to like experience that joy or that shock or awe yeah. vicariously, and so for me it was like I got a kick out of the fact that you hadn't seen it because because uh, I could, if you laughed I was like I was like yes that's just yeah. it yeah it's a little victory when someone reacts yeah. the way that you react especially if you love it and if it's something that um, again Schrader same day that I, when I met him and he got mad at me for making fun of the pickle um, he said he said you know when they started. And this was so cool, right? To hear him talk about stuff like that. Because like, I worship him, too. Yeah. Right? Not as much as my grandfather, but still. He he said, you know, when they were making their first pictures or whatever, the hardest thing in the world was to get the picture made. And now, the hardest thing is just to get someone to watch your picture. Because there's yeah. so many pictures out there. It's easy to get them made because you can make them on your phone. Yeah, and I do. I mean, I actually brought, just to like, like for later on, I'll, I'll show you. I brought the B-Script. 
and like I got I've got this like I carry this shit with me because oh nice like so this is like the moment package right like and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in here I mean when you think back about like what what filmmaking tools were available when I was at film school and stuff like I've got a I've got an 18 millimeter a 58 millimeter I've got a 1.33 anamorphic I've got a 10 10 millimeter macro uh, and uh, I've got there's two I've got two more I've got an 18 I got a, well there's 18 millimeter I got a 14 millimeter which is almost the train spotting wide yeah yeah, yeah and then I've got like and they all it all fits in this fanny pack which is not fashionable. No, and that's what I I, t- I tell. I, I teach um, at a couple of different film schools, and that's one of the things I tell the students too. I'm like, you don't. Like, you if, don't I, need if, if I had the technology that you have now, when I was your age, I'd be making a short film every weekend. Well, I, I when I'm filming the trees and stuff, to me, like sometimes the, I, I joke on I say like my latest picture is this or like you know I just I went to the Cumberland. I went by the Cumberland, so I'm not living in Toronto anymore. And it, the city, every time I come back, is different. And so I went by the Cumberland, which was the place that I discovered movies. So many great films there. Um, and it's not a movie. But if you... So, like, going down that... When you used to walk in that little alleyway yeah. from, from Bloor to Cumberland, the movie posters were up there. And so I, I, I filmed the alleyway and, like, looking up where the posters used to be. And then the back down. Yeah. And there's, you know, and it's like this was a boulevard of dreams. Like this was the pathway to dreams. Like I used to walk down there and, and see the posters and then, and then be awed by them. And they were so high above your head. And then yeah. when you go into the Cumberland, you know, they showed art on the, before they would screen the movies and stuff. And one of the things I, what I realized about missing that place is that, and especially after the pandemic and, and why I like what you're doing is that, is that there's something magical about watching movies with other people. Mm-hmm. And when, 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 when someone else laughs, sometimes like you weren't, you wouldn't have laughed, but, but it's contagious. And when, and that's why I think comedy and horror, like I, 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 I write crime stories and, and things like that. And there's sort of kind of easy, easy. There's like, they're kind of cheats in some ways because like the stakes are inherently high. Yeah. yeah. Um, and people get shot. And anytime you're like, I haven't had anything happen for like 10 minutes. Like somebody's going to pull out a gun, you know, but comedy and horror, you can't fake it. No. Like if a laugh, like no one's going to fake laugh for you. You either get the laugh or you don't. So it's pure. And, and it's one of those ones that it works. It, it's a, like what the DEA calls uh, force multipliers. Yeah, you exactly. Yeah, I made my first drama recently and it was... Astrobe is yeah. a drama, right? And it was interesting like going to screenings for that because for me, I'm like, I know if... I'm really curious I'm, to see When it. I make a comedy, I'm like, I know if it works because people laughed. Yeah. But for that one, I'm like, there's a couple of laughs in it here and there, but it's like, that's not really what it's about. But it's also there's like little gasps and that kind of stuff, and so but not this. It's not the same. We well, have to wait. You have, you have to, to wait, wait to the end of the picture and then ask people what they thought, right? Yeah. Well, there's enough little moments where you can hear people the way people That's breathe, good. or just the silence and that kind of stuff. Or if they're not moving, right? Like yeah. If, if like if there's not a lot if of they're still. I remember going to see again at the Cumberland. I, this was the moment when I realized what the what why the cinema was important as opposed. I mean, cinema is many things. Right? Cinema is the language. It's also the story being told in that language. And it's the it's the physical material and all that stuff. It's also the house. It's the place. It's the yeah. theater, right? So in this instance, I'm using it in that way. But but I remember going to see Elephant, and it was not long after Columbine. And I mean, now we've lived with so many mass God. shootings. It's and that last one that just happened. It's so fucking terrible. But when 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 Columbine happened, it was shocking. That's the problem now. Is it's not shocking anymore. No, it's just like they. Everyone was so emotional last week, but it's like they're gonna forget in two months. I think it's because it hadn't happened for a while during the pandemic. There weren't a lot of them. 
But I remember <laughs> people were in school. They weren't in school, and they weren't in the public. And 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 but when Columbine happened, it was like unfathomable. Yeah. Like I know I'd heard about Kent State, and and there was obviously the Polytechnic shooting and stuff that happened when I was nine. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't conscious of it in the, I wasn't a no, media same consumer. Me. Yeah, we were the same age. That was, we were the same, it, was, it hit it was me the, the first, same way. It was the first, like, horrible thing that I remember ever happening. But, so when I saw, when I went to see uh, Elephant, now Elephant to me is also, is, is, there's a problem because Elephant is a, is a British film by Alan Clark, who I think is the greatest unheralded director. He's everybody's favorite, he's your favorite director's favorite director, Alan Clark. And he made Elephant. And Elephant is about the troubles in Northern Ireland. And, and, and Gus Van Sant took the title and the style. He's acknowledged it. It's not like it's, he didn't yeah, rip yeah. it off. It's an homage and everything. And I love him for it because, you know. But when, when but the way that Elephant is made, because it's so POV and it's yeah. like, it, all it does is it says, it's a great act of empathy. It puts you in the school and it, and it, and it makes you be somebody in that physical environment. And it doesn't have the same, it has a different rules of grammar so it never lets you out of that it never gives you a, a distance so I remember getting up at one point it was the second or third time I saw it in that theater and I remember getting, going to the washroom and and coming back and just watching everybody's it was a small theater at the Cumberland and everybody's head was like they were all in unison unmoving like just but then when the tracking shots would go they'd move their heads would move and it was like everyone was moving in unison it was like the hundred monkeys thing you know and and it was like Wow, like one person did that. Like one, one, one lens did that. Yeah. Well, there's a great story about for Rosemary's Baby when um, when they were shooting when um, Polanski. There's that one scene where she's like in the kitchen or something like that, uh, and she's just outside. And the way they frame it is like the doorway is blocking her, huh. and the DP moved the camera so you could see her. Huh. And then Polanski says, "No, no, no, put it back." He's like, you're fucking crazy. It's like, you can only see, like, all you can see is, like, half of her. You can't see her. It's, it's no good. And he's like, just do it. You'll understand later. So, like, a year, you know, six months later or whatever, they're screening it in front of an audience. Huh. And he's sitting beside the DP. And all of a sudden, when that shot comes up, moment come on, everyone in the audience shifts over to try to look around huh. the door. And he looked over at his DP and he's like... That's genius. And, he, and yeah. he's like, all right, you get it. But he's like, that he knew. Yeah. Like, that's the forethought of thinking, I'm going to make people think if they move they're going to be yeah. so ingrained it's a, in what they're doing they're, they're going to think that they can actually see if they move well and that goes back to the idea I mean like I don't know if you tell people like that uh, we just watched it on your beautiful projector and it's huge and we're watching it with the, those long lens shots right where yeah like, gorgeous like to see I don't know if you could tell so much on a small screen like I can't imagine watching that on your phone and getting that feeling because again, we were talking about how how it selects people, and when it when, when the long lens, and again, I don't need to tell a film director about a long lens. No, no, no. But, but the idea that but for, that's a super long lens they use here. Yeah, it had to. It, I, I mean, I think it's a two hundred. I think you're right. Like so, some of those shots, the background was like so completely un like indecipherable. What yeah, it was. yeah. So, but it, it, what it does obviously is it, it separates the foreground from the background in a way that say a wide angle lens obviously doesn't. And, and it, it makes people bigger than life. And this movie, like in the beginning scene, it was kind of neat when it did it in the Chinese restaurant because, you know, it's Terry, it's two movie stars, right? Yeah. So it makes sense. And it's kind of, he's a commercial director, I think, Joe Pitka. Like he, he did Space Jam. But you know that cop in that movie? The cop is, do you, ever, do you remember from when we were kids? This is your brain. This is your brain. Oh, that's drugs. him. Not only is that him, but Joe Pitka directed those spots. <laughs> right? 
But that's hilarious. So we're used to the commercial photography film grammar of long lenses because it's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And the bokeh, how do you say it? Bokeh? Bokeh. Yeah. And, and, and so it's lovely. And so we, we're used to it being used for beauty. This movie doesn't use it for beauty. Because it takes place... I mean, look at that bar. Remember the yeah. TV shot of the TV? It's like you'd have to scrape like cigarette smoke and like whatever that was on that television to see what was Yeah, the production happen. design of that bar is incredible. I want to hang out at that bar. You know? But you need you get emphysema just from walking <laughs> in. And, and, you know, it's so good. But, but, but when he's using it on like the losers and like the... When he's using it on cheeseburger... But he makes them all beautiful. He makes them all beautiful. But he also makes them bigger than life. And I just watched this documentary last night that my friend produced called Tramps and it's about the new more, new romantics period or whatever in um, in England and and there was the thing in there saying like if you back then like if whenever you look at the pictures of people from those parties and stuff like the Blitz kids and stuff they look so iconic but they were just regular people but it was because like because the way they shot them the way they shot them but also the fact that there weren't a lot of photography like people didn't have phones and, and when you went out to clubs like no one was really taking your picture so so the the pictures are like larger than life and everybody was so dressed up and so theatrical and or like name golden's photography like like she's taking pictures of her friends and stuff and they're all people who are really struggling and having a hard time and she made them look like movie stars because it's so intimate and stuff and 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 she she knew them she has an access so what the long lens does is it lets you get up close to somebody It, it it puts them right in front of your face and people become icons like to me cheeseburger's an icon like I, I do cheeseburger like sometimes, you know, and nobody knows who I'm talking about. So it's like, it never lands. Yeah. Yeah. But to yeah. me, he's one, one of the time great. will. And that, that person, I'll, do it, your best I'll do it with you, you know, like, <laughs> we're at a party or something I'll, I, and you'll know cheese, but like, you know, like that whole thing he does about like the four horses, a friggin' joke, Trotta. They put kids on the four horse to have their picture taken. Like, they take it so far. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then they do a scene. Like, and again, going back to that scene, the it's quiet scene. You know, after the the post coital, you know, post race cigarette scene. Um, you you get away with the broad moments because right afterwards you ground it. That's just it. Like the movie, like I said, you know, it it, it shouldn't work. It should, but it's just it's just there's something about it that feels like not a fever dream, but it just feels like that it does one feel like per- a dream. that one perfect day, like yeah. the day that shouldn't exist. Yeah, you know, it's a bit not melodramatic, but it's just a bit like a fantasy. It's a fairy tale in a way. It's a fairy tale, and the music, the little like, like so. Yeah, those, those, those know, little when twinkles. She, when the girl who serves in the hamburger says, "You know, you could be walking around lucky and not even know it," and there's a weird like all the smoke from the grill is all of a sudden very impressionistic, you know, because there's no way that there's, like, the the health department would come and close that place down. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't have Well, just looking at that burger. Oh, my God, it's the most disgusting burger I've ever seen. But yeah. then again, right? Like, okay, the joke is good. It's a good joke. He, he finally he eats the bur- burger. You forget about the burger. He spits the burger out, right? So it's a good gag. Yeah. And then... That guy comes along. And the guy comes along and says, you done with that? Knock yourself out, pal. <laughs> like, that's the poetry, because... And then even talking about poetry, <laughs> the scene when she says, Lord Byron, and he's going, Byron, Lord By- Byron, poet, poetas, poetamus. Like, those aren't words. <laughs> no, he's just saying, he's just trying to justify himself why he should bet on that person. Yeah, yeah. Bet on that horse, he's looking, But he's looking for the poetry. And there is a lot of poetry in that movie. There's a lot of visual poetry. Like, even the shot, it's like the worst bathroom, you know, 
previous to transpotting. Uh, you know, and he's I, on him. that toilet when he's begging and he's, and he's asked, it's one yeah. of those things though, the movie sort of says like, it, like normally you say like, be careful what you wish for. And this one kind of says, wish for things. Yeah. You know, which That's is kind of kind of beautiful about it. There's a great shot for, I forget, there's a great shot of that giant tall guy that's always yeah. at point where it's on him and someone says something shitty <laughs> and he turns around and as he turns around, the camera tilts up yeah. and over his head. And everyone goes silent, but it's just it's this beautiful like push in and move. Yeah, it's at actually same time. it's a gorgeously shot movie. Like it, it really is. It's it, it's way more beautiful than a movie like this needs to be, or than a movie like this would be now. Like like yeah, you shoot this as like a two camera setup Netflix kind of movie. You would, you totally would, and and it wouldn't be with those long lenses. I mean, I don't know what it costs to light when you're shooting something like that. Like I don't, I, I have never done anything. Like so I don't know if that's more expensive. Or Back less then fun. it would have been different because you're shooting on film. So your stops would have been different. So, but those were probably in those, like, I, I feel like they, they built that bar. So I feel like they had more control. Had to be, had, had to have been built because again, there's no way that a bar like that could operate. Like, yeah. You know, or it might have like the, the exterior is obviously a real place, Marty's or whatever, yeah, yeah, but yeah. the interior has to be a set. And you know, it, but the main, the main thing about all, about that, movie that I that I love is like it's it basically it basically sort of says like people are inherently good you know yeah um sometimes all you need is a break yeah I think so too I love that you wrapped it up beautifully it's like dare to dream it's okay yeah. to dream and 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 you know every now and then even the, the you know the sun shines on a dog's ass every now and yeah. then. A broken clock is right twice a day. I was going to say that too. <laughs> well, thanks so much for, for bringing this movie to me. Oh, man. Thanks for watching it with me. And, and thanks for, I mean, first of all, just thanks for, for being up for it. Because I was like, man, finally somebody wants to watch Let It Ride. And, 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 and. You dare to dream. Yeah. 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 <laughs> thanks, man. Oh, my pleasure. It was fun. Let's all go to the Thanks for joining us for Let It Ride. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby.